jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! of Darkness! Well, hello to everyone, and happy Monday to those who celebrate. Well, Mondays, am I right? <laughs> Are you Garfield or Roseanne? I honestly couldn't decide to commit to either, so I just wanted to stay in a a liminal space of of the two, you know? (laughs) Well, like I said, it's Monday. What are we doing here? This is unlike us. Yeah, we're supposed to be posting about what we're watching on Monday, so everyone can do the homework and catch up and play along. But no, no, this is a full episode because today, my friends, begins <gasps> the re-re-three-inning. Oh my god! We had the three-inning, we had the re-three-inning, and now it's time for the re-re-three-inning. The re-re-three-inning. It's almost like, it sounds like a, a movie, a psycho movie score. It's the re-re-three-inning. Uh, yeah. No, you know, it's a we we you know that thing. it's the so it's built it's it's onomatopoeia is what I'm saying. I see. Thank you for going along with this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh yes, that means it is our week long fundraiser. It means we are going to be posting an episode every day this week for how long? Ring ring. Seven days. <laughs> Did someone make video art? (laughs) Did I just hear video art? (laughs) Yeah, seven days of episodes while we raise funds. This is insane. It really is. I I mean, already I feel, I don't feel in my right mind. By the end of this, again, full blobfish. (laughs) Full blobfish. It's been a while since we've done a three-inning. Uh, we have done two three innings at this point. We are now so excitedly, uh, already exhaustedly, on the three inning, the third. This is our third go round with this. This is a gauntlet, a horrifying week long gauntlet. I think kind of inspired by sort of like what, you know, what I would love to get to watch on Final Girl and read along with back in the day when you would go through like the corning. Or or the Hellraiser ending, where you subject yourself to, like, every single movie in a franchise, but in one day. <laughs> yeah, I used to do them all in one day. I did Friday the 13th, I did Halloween, I did Children of the Corn. Oh my I would do them all in one day. Like, sunrise to sunrise, it would take me to do them all. And then when I did Nightmare on Elm Street, I decided to just do one movie a day, and that was much kinder. Yeah. But still very taxing. It's still, well, and so we do the one a day because also there is a fundraising component. We've got a thermometer. 
Yeah. And and we love watching that thermometer crawl and we give you updates every day, every step of the way as as that thermometer grows and grows and grows. Uh, broners are plenty. <laughs> but now, you know, doing over a week, we still lose our minds and we do these shorter, weirder episodes looking at the third movie in a movie franchise. But Stacy, we're all doing it for a reason. We are? Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's like really, really, really wicked cool, like being an American right now. Oh, as always. Are you kidding? Like, I have so many rights. I yeah. feel. <laughs> I yeah, get more, more rights all the time. I just keep getting rights. Like I'm like <laughs> Mr. Moneybags. I'm just carrying bags of rights. So because being an American is so wicked cool, uh, there's this great thing happening where uh, people are enacting uh, horrific anti-trans legislation all over the country. Uh, this is happening like wildfire. Um, and so we thought, you know what? Maybe it's time to light up that briefcase signal. sorry i just imagined her head popping up on the gotham skyline but we're lighting that briefcase signal and we are fundraising for the transgender law center so all week every single episode that we are what we are watching the third movie in a movie franchise in a different movie franchise every day we are fundraising through that thermometer and everything from that thermometer goes straight to Transgender Law Center. Um, Transgender Law Center changes law, policy, and attitudes so that all people can live safely, authentically, and free from discrimination regardless of their gender identity or expression. Transgender Law Center is the largest national trans-led organization advocating for a world in which all people are free to define themselves and their futures. Grounded in legal expertise and committed to racial justice, Transgender Law Center employs a variety of community-driven strategies to keep transgender and gender non-conforming people alive, thriving, and fighting for liberation. So you can find out all about them at transgenderlawcenter.org. And you can access the GoFundMe where we are doing all of this fundraising by going to gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash Gaylords. Type that in. Takes you right to the GoFundMe. You can see the thermometer. Also, if you go to any of our social media or our website, just the first link you see, just click it. Or just like, you know, just like voting in the um, People's Gaze, just click the banner link on our website. Takes you right to the GoFundMe. You can donate as we go. If you can't donate, just share the link. Help spread the word. That'd be great. We'd appreciate it. Yeah. You can always tell someone about it. You can always retweet something. Uh, even just, you know, moral support for us doing this <laughs> throughout oh the God. week would be great. Oh my um, God. You guys have helped raise so much money with the three innings in the past. And so we're hoping, we know times are tough for everybody, which is why we say like, if you can't afford to help out, then just like retweet something, post a link to something, give us a shout out, but we're hoping to raise some money because it's, things are really getting weird out there man right <laughs> like it's just I, I i don't know what's happening but we are hurtling here in the u.s and in a lot of other places around the world but it's just the evangelicals are trying to just completely take over and eliminate everybody else um and our trans brothers and sisters are in the cross hairs right now yeah um, but 
that's not where it's going to stop. I mean, it would even if it was going to stop there, it would st- we still need to help and do what we can. But this is they're an easy target right now. The drag community is an easy target right now. Um, and it's all, you know, it's all for the children, right? We need to protect the children. There's always someone to protect the children from, whether it's Satanists, communists, trans people, drag people, drag drag artists. It's just, I don't know. It's just getting really awful and really weird. And so this is just one way that we can maybe help a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Help help protect the children from the screenwriter of terror out of the sky yeah um and ants <laughs> yeah. uh no but it's it because it, i and it, it it feels helpless it feels like we are rapidly hurtling um towards uh <laughs> like part of the term but towards gender side <laughs> like it is mm-hmm. it is it is um really massive and it feels unstoppable at this point, but everything can shift. Everything can shift because we actually outnumber the amount of bigots with a lot of loud platforms and a lot of money. Um, we actually outnumber the the smaller amount of people that have these problems that are claiming that it is for children. Thank you for bringing that up. It's never actually about the children. Children are always used as a means to... Um, to exploit people's, uh, I don't know, sense of tradition or values. But they're also, it's also like, I think it's really interesting that when you look at um, whiteness or like heterosexuality or, or uh, I don't know, that just like that kind of basic binarist thinking of the status quo, like what what is it able to replicate? its existence what's able to keep it in power it's like well children replicating the process the replicating the structure and it never ends no. um and we all know that it's not actually about doing anything to help children because no, we, if it was about doing anything to help children we would have health care in this country yeah, we would <laughs> like, take care we, of you know, children we would actually take care of children there would be uh investments in education and yeah. healthcare, and we would be ensuring that they had a good world to grow up in. We wouldn't yeah. be let's eliminate all trans people. Exactly, including the children. Right. Yes. Like, yeah. Never mind the trans children. Yeah. You know they need to be protected from themselves. Apparently, but it's this is essentially this is at this point a holy war, right? This is they oh, are fully. they are God's warriors. Like nowadays, even here where I live, it's like I walk down the street and there are people with their signs out, you know, and it's you would think it was like fucking Pat Robertson all over again. I was out walking and there's some guy with a sign that it was like, oh, these are all the people going to hell. And it was like the homosexuals and the Satanists and the trans people. And we're all going to hell. And it's just like, what is going on? They're not going to be happy until we go full Handmaid's Tale. And Absolutely. and that won't even be enough. There will always be someone else who we can put in the crosshairs. You know? Yep. Well, that's the thing. I mean, look at look at. I think how this how this attack is being um, coded along the way. Like 
oh okay so some places are are blatantly going against trans people but then when it when it turns into like well let's ban drag shows let's ban drag queen story time let's bet which you know i've had some run-ins with that and it's so interesting that when they turn it and focus on drag community they're like oh well this is about protecting children from uh the sexualization of drag because clearly these people have never been to a drag show and don't know there's nothing less sexy on the planet than (laughs) someone shoved into 8,000 pairs of tights uh lip syncing to a song but um with with the like when it when when they're coming for drag it's like that's actually just that's actually just a coded way of saying trans people. That's a coded way of saying anybody that isn't performing according to uh, the role that is expected of them, that society is assigned for them. So yes, you're absolutely right. When that progresses and, you know, say, say we're passing laws against trans people, we're passing law against drag performers. Like, I mean, naturally, like it's going to come down to the behaviors of everyday people too, of, of what you might just think are regular straight men or women it's like we're already seeing this with the the violence inflicted on women's bodies in in the legislative realm and with the supreme court and like everything that's on the line right now mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's bleak even though i feel very comfortable in my wealth <laughs> yeah. and my privilege <laughs> yeah. but you know for everyone that isn't me it could it could be argued that it is bleak so we are subjecting ourselves to all of these movies all week long, third movie in every franchise, all for the Transgender Law Center. And Stacy, we are starting that GoFundMe goal at $1,000. I think we can hit that. I think we can. I think we can hit that. I think it'll be good. And I think it's it's something to keep in mind. And it's tough when every day you look at the news or look at whatever and just feel your own community under attack or the community of a loved one under attack. But it is worth bearing in mind somewhere that this is clearly a fear response on the part of the people who are making this legislation and all of this. This is, oh, we are moving closer towards achieving some kind of balance or equality or just advancement for people. And it's a fear response and they, they fight back and the backlash is way overcompensating and is very difficult to bear. Yep. Um, that happens all the time. Anytime a movement <laughs> moves forward a little bit, there's huge amounts of backlash. The problem is they're the ones making the laws. and things like that and so it can be very severe but there is something to take heart i think in all of this um that it does mean that we are progressing to some extent yes i mean we made some leaps forward i mean with roe versus wade with uh i mean say what you will about (laughs) same-sex marriage and the appealing to gay rights over queer rights or liberation but um uh same-sex marriage happens and then everyone went nuts and we had to go back 50 years 60 years 70 years 80 years it feels like 100 years at this point except i think they were arguably more progressive in the 20s than these 20s but yes it's because things are actively changing it's just progress is slow and takes a lot of work and unfortunately uh people in our communities are the ones that have to do the work that's right yeah 
and we need our allies. <laughs> you know, we need our allies to to speak up and to be there for us. Yep. Well, we are hopefully we're going to raise some money here as we begin our descent into absolute madness today. <laughs> Sheer lunacy. Yeah. But we're starting off with Psycho 3. <laughs> And listen, man, I gotta say, going into this, I was like, eh, Psycho 3, eh, it's okay, whatever, whatever. I watched it, and I'm like, I fucking love Psycho 3. I Thank you! I love Psycho 3. And then I thought, why wasn't I excited to watch this? The last time I watched it, maybe I didn't have a great reaction to it, is that why? And I went back and read what I wrote the last time I watched this, which was like, I don't know, five or six years ago or something. And at the time, I was like, I fucking love Psycho 3. So I don't know what I was thinking going into this. <laughs> but I fucking love Psycho 3, man. Thank you. It's great, right? It's really great. Like, it's sleazy. Well, actually, the sleaze is part of why I love it. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like, it's a step. It's definitely a step down from 2. Mm-hmm. 2 is gl- glorious. Yeah, it is. Three, but once again, neither a Psycho 2 nor a Psycho 3 have any right to be as good as they are. They're both fantastic films. Um, Do they enrich Psycho? That's the thing. As sequels, like, you say they're unnecessary, right? Because they are. Uh, I mean, is any movie necessary? But they added a Roman numeral to the big famous (laughs) title. (laughs) Uh, do they go? Do they enrich the original experience? No. Do I care? No. Fuck no. They're two really fun movies on their own. And Psycho Three, if you've never seen it or you haven't seen it in a while or whatever, man, you gotta watch it because it's just it's a lot of fun. I am so glad. <laughs> I am so glad because I could hear the not excited in your voice leading up to it. Yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking. No, and I remember that you enjoyed it on Final Girl. And so I, too, was like, I don't know why Stacy's not excited for Psycho 3. <laughs> I don't know what my problem is. And, and I was like, it can't just be Jeff Fahey. <laughs> I like Jeff Fahey. But ew, he's so gross in this. He is really gross. He's so gross. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm attracted to him in, the, in that, like, yeah, in, in retrospect. I are. am, but he's so gross. It's it's a self-loathing. It's it's my right. Kaiser, Oregon. <laughs> it's my hometown. It's where I'm from. It's, that's the self-loathing attraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> jumping ahead. Psycho 3 is wicked. Uh, what a fun way to kick off a three inning. It's a really, we're definitely starting at a high point here. Yes. So. We know the lineup. We know the full lineup. Y'all. Yes, we do. And there are, actually, you know what? I will say for the third one, you would think like, oh boy, we are scraping the old barrel because we've already done Children of the Corn 3. So. <laughs> We already did rings, right? So <laughs> I'm in the pinnacle. <laughs> yeah. No, but we've already done like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser. Like we've done a lot of the big franchises, etc. Yeah. Halloween 3. But looking at the lineup for this week, like I might be the most excited overall for the re-re-3 ending. Yeah, they're kind of, we, we're getting some of the weirdos. And like some of the cool girls that like not as many t- people talk to at lunch. 
Right. <laughs> but you want to. It's definitely, yeah. It's a little bit of the reject table. Yeah. That's okay. Like, there's stuff I've seen that I really dig and stuff I haven't seen but I'm super excited about. Yeah. So. But yeah, Psycho 3, I don't know what I was thinking going into I Like, I literally don't know why I wasn't excited. Well, I am so happy that you have you have seen the 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 light the mrs bates and i don't know <laughs> that my my wig i put i don't know something about a wig i my so love for this a, movie. a wig <laughs> yeah, there's a wig involved of course <laughs> i don't know i think my i i just i it rekindled my feelings for it i guess and it was just unexpected because i was not anyway well so psycho three okay so psycho three so psycho two is wicked great have we covered psycho two uh yes yeah 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 we talked about the sadness of the meg tilly anthony perkins onset relationship which was oh there we go there we go (laughs) she's lost in agnes of god (laughs) bye stacy As they pack Blanche in the car and drive her <laughs> off to the hospital. I've always depended on Meg Tilly's pretty face. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> You're sitting in the back seat holding a severed hand and petting it. I love Meg Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Psycho 2. Uh, direct sequel to Psycho, what, 20 years after, Norman gets out of the sanitarium and he's like, I'm better now. He works at a diner and things are great. Twist, twist, twist. Super cool. Brings back your original, some original actors. Brings back Vera Miles. But it it redoes Psycho, but in 80s slasher vernacular, I think. Psycho 3, it veers, I think, even more into 80s slasher, but now like the lower budget maybe perhaps great value with some sleaze and a fucking wicked wicked ass score by carter burwell i love this score it's so good (laughs) (laughs) it sounded just like that when Diana Scarwood is walking across the desert, you know, oh, and you're man. like, girl, there there are roads you could walk on. <laughs> She's a wandering nun. Yeah, she is. Just wandering to that score. There is no God. <laughs> I uh I felt your joy in the opening scene of this film. Oh my lord. <laughs> It's just, this movie kind of has it all. Nuns. (laughs) Nuns on the run. (laughs) Nuns on the runs. Uh, (laughs) I love a nun in a movie. We all know this. Does it all go back to Agnes of God? Maybe it does. I think it does. Boy, Meg Taylor's real formative for me. I I mean, you all know this if you've listened to any of our episodes where I mentioned it. Bye-bye. I'll be back in a minute. (laughs) I'll be back in a minute. Hold on. That's gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash Gaylords. 
The thermometer is at zero dollars. With this kind of discourse about a film, uh, of course we're going to have a lot of money in that fundraiser. That thermometer is going to get real big. Oh boy. <laughs> Something around here is. It's Monday only. I know! <laughs> the best part. So Psycho 2, it is revealed, right, that Norma Bates wasn't actually Norman's mother, but Emma Spool, you're like, okay, the waitress from the diner, Emma Spool shows up and is like, actually, I'm your mother. I was institutionalized for a while. Norma was my sister and she just adopted you. Mm -hmm. And Norman is like, what? And then he kills her with a shovel. (laughs) And that's at the end of the movie. That's at the end of Psycho 2. So now it's a little while after that. And we have Diana Scarwood, as I mentioned. Love her. We got to see her a little while ago in What Lies Beneath as the awesome friend that did not die. That's right. That's right. People probably know her, of course, from Mummy Dearest. Oh, yes. Uh, So she is Maureen, a nun with problems. (laughs) (laughs) She's a complicated character. She, She is constituted entirely of red flags. (laughs) yeah she's a walking red flag she just oh my goodness she the movie begins with her screaming there is no god (laughs) which is like okay and then uh i don't know she wants to jump out of a bell tower and then the other nuns are like no don't do it and then one of them is like you're wicked and then like a nun accidentally falls to her death So Maureen takes off across the desert. Okay. She gets gets picked up by Jeff Fahey playing Dwayne Duke, but his friends call him Duke. Uh, He is a wannabe rock star. Also sometimes a nerd. Right? Yep. Uh, He's real weird so weird um i kind of love him though he's He's, very sleazy he's so sleazy he is the sleaziest scuzziest yeah he's hot i'm back oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) he's so gross and so sweaty and weird and hot yeah he's a hot guy yeah weird so he picks her up he picks up maureen on the side of the road and uh, they get trapped in a rainstorm, and he tries to rape her. He basically assaults her, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, so, he assaults her, so she takes off, and he's like, well, goodbye! And then he drives away. <laughs> <laughs> he drives off. He ends up at Bates Motel, and where Norman is looking for someone to work at the motel during the day. Now, Dwayne is on his way to Los Angeles, where he is going to become a rock star, Uh, But he decides to stop and work at Bates Motel for a while to pick up some money. Now, Norman is also someone who has problems. His mother is still around. It's Emma Spool now. His mother. He's got a new bag of sand dust. Yeah. And I just, I I don't know, man. I just love Mrs. Bates. I Like, I kind of want to be Mrs. Bates. Like, I just love it when... (laughs) 
Well, it just makes me like the voice makes me laugh because Norman will be like, oh, I don't know. She seems nice. She's a whore. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And little slut, Norman. Yeah. (laughs) I just kind of love Mrs. Bates. Oh, she's all she's wicked. She's full of of sawdust. Yeah. (laughs) She's great. That's your dream role. <laughs> <laughs> Just stuff me full of sawdust and let me sit in a chair and yell at people. <laughs> How do they know I'm not sitting here talking with Mrs. Bates right now? And you could be. <laughs> oh, mother! <laughs> Uh, so Maureen eventually wanders all the way to Bates Motel. She finally <laughs> makes it there. She's sweating, distressed nun. Yeah. Wandering through her had any water in days, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> Avoids roads at all costs, which is a great idea when you're in the desert. Um, but her short blonde hair and her initials, MC, remind Norman of a little someone named Marion Crane. Ring any bells? <gasps> So he's immediately uh, got his eyes on her and then she gets in, she ends up staying in room one. And so, you know, Norman goes over to his peephole immediately to watch her and he's just like, Awooga! Honk, honk! Woo, woo, woo! Honk, honk! And she does her burlesque number. Yeah. Fully unaware of being watched. It's so obviously a body double for Diana Scarwood. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. So he goes to, well, excuse me, mother goes to kill her because she's obviously a slut. So, uh, but he finds out that she has uh, slit her wrists and is dying in the bathtub. There we go. Like I said, she has a lot of problems. So Norman ends up saving her. And that means they fall in love. And they are just two of the weirdest people <laughs> ever. Immediately codependent. Like, just, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, meanwhile, boy, there's a lot of meanwhiles in this movie. Meanwhile, though, <laughs> we do get the appearance of intrepid reporter oh. Tracy Venable. Who has come all the way from Los Angeles. She is working on a story about serial killers who have been released from insane asylums. For Coastal Reports. (laughs) The magazine. Which really sounds like it would run a story about serial killers. Yeah. Coastal Reports. Yeah. Better Homes and Gardens. The Insanity Defense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So she's great. Oh, man. Oh, love Tracy Venable. Yeah. She's asking questions. She's snooping. Uh, She meets Duke in a bar and gets him on the payroll to snoop around all this because she just knows that Norman is up to something. Then we have the uh, carloads of people who, I don't know, they're in town for some sporting event. Who are these hooligans? Are they 50? Are they college students? I don't know. All I care about is the fact that one of them is played by Cat motherfucking Shay. Right? Director of Poison Ivy? Poison Ivy. The Rage Carry 2. Ugh. And, of course, a little movie called Stripped to Kill. Ugh. Where a cop has to go undercover as a stripper to uh, solve the crime of who's killing strippers. Oh, best detective. 
starring Kay Lenz of The Initiation of Sarah and Greg oh. Avigan of television's BJ and the Bear. Thank you. Okay. Incredible. Yeah. So Kat Shea is one of them. And she is a perfect example of how Psycho 3 really leans into slasher territory, like you were saying, because the people who get killed in Psycho 3 are kind of random people. Yeah, they're just like women wandering through the hotel or which or motel, which if there's what, eight cabins and a phone booth to one which to wander. One of the women, Red, played by, excuse me, Juliet Cummins. Thank you. Of Slumber Party Massacre 2 of Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. (sighs) Love her. Boy, she meets Duke at a bar and goes back to the motel with him. And there is this kind of sex scene that you say to yourself, does Anthony Perkins know what sex is? No. And how people do it. weird i mean you saw you saw his love scene with uh with none yeah (laughs) (laughs) that kissing oh my goodness yeah so it's real sleazy like i love that duke has worked at the bates motel for like five minutes and yet he has already like decked out his room in collage art from like playboy issues it's so weird and he's like turning his he's like turned his lamps into like stage gel lights yeah and julia Cummins is like i'm gonna pretend to burn myself with a cigarette what was she doing (laughs) she just like kept like rubbing a cigarette down her arm and she's like ooh, (laughs) like that's how she's seducing him purple light and then jeff fahey's like hot and naked with lamps moving around it's so playing weird. lighting tech yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense meanwhile while while he's doing this and has decked out his whole plate he's somehow transformed the bates motel into a thriving business it's just very strange maybe he's good at his job maybe that's maybe. his actual calling could be you know unlikely concierge so those two have sex and then he's like get out of here so she goes in a (laughs) she goes in the phone booth to uh call for a cab or something and she ends up getting killed in the phone booth and it's really uh it's a really cool scene sad but yeah she well and you know she got stuck in that turtleneck she did (laughs) but it's a it's a callback to the shower scene for sure there's a lot of callbacks in this movie do you think Anthony Perkins, who directed this film, do you think he thought he was going to do for um, phone booths what they did for the shower in the first film? Probably. He was like, you know what? No one's ever going to go in a phone booth again. And then like, yeah. <laughs> and then like 15 minutes later, phone booths were out of style anyway. And he's like, oh, no. Fully. <laughs> So she like she gets killed and Cat Shay gets killed while she's uh, peeing on a toilet. Like Shay's sliced on a toilet. Yeah, it's just like really random deaths. Like I guess they're just they're women and therefore they are sluts and therefore they have to die. Uh, but it it does just feel kind of random. But that's okay. Yeah. As we edge closer to Norman going full mother and flipping out in all of this uh tracy venable tells maureen like listen you gotta look out for this guy 
And so Maureen's like, oh, shit, really? And so she takes off. But then she comes back because she's like, no, I love Norman. Norman is my true love. And, and this is full kindness of strangers. Like, <laughs> yeah. crazy eyes. Yeah, she's a fucking wackadoo. Like, yes. I don't know, man. And then Duke is like, well, Norman, I know your secret. And so he wants money. And like Norman goes into his room and the, there's this Woody Woodpecker cartoon playing. And honestly, my Skinnamarink PTSD kicked in. Oh. <laughs> like the sound of old timey cartoon on the TV. The thing is in Psycho 3, something is happening while the cartoon is on TV. Versus the Versus other Skinner. film in which nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a trigger for you now. It is. It actually is. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know. Norman is like sick of his mother and, you know, he doesn't want to be killing people. And I just love it when he's like, I'll get you. He says, I'll get you for this mother. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, you don't have the guts, boy. And I'm so into it. Like, I just wanted them to get in a fist fight. It's so good. So there's another twist. And this Psycho 3 retcons the retcon of psycho 2 yes and it's so complicated it's like okay no emma spool was cuckoo crazy she was in an institution and she was norman's aunt but you see she's not actually norman's mother she was in love with norman's father and then she killed norman's father and kidnapped norman but norman is really norma's son it's like oh my god why is this so complicated (laughs) And Norman knew none of this. Yeah, Norman knows nothing. Even though even though Tracy Venable, coastal reporter, goes <laughs> and she finds the newspaper clipping and goes, <gasps> and then shows it to the priest and he goes, <gasps> Yeah, one newspaper clipping that explains everything. That explains everything. And yet nobody knew about Mrs. Spool. <laughs> nobody, Norman didn't know any of this. The people who own the diner where she worked didn't know. Like, the the old guy knew she had been in an institution, but, like, it's just... It's not like she was using an alias. Yeah! When Tracy Venable is doing her snooping and research, it does... We do get to see the best part of Psycho 3. And probably the best part of any of the movies in the franchise, which is the fact that Emma Spool has an 8x10 photo of herself in her apartment. (laughs) (laughs) So she knows that she's in her own house. (laughs) I was so excited. Oh my god. It's like, it makes Roy Burns from Friday the 13th Part 5 look like an amateur. Like, yeah, he had a picture of himself in his wallet, but this bitch has an 8x10 of herself framed on a table. Yeah, she's got a framed headshot on her (laughs) sideboard. I was like, I gotta do that. Could you imagine you come over and I just have a picture of my face? (laughs) Smiling with the, with the, with like head rested on hand. Yeah. It, the Emma Spool, this makes, okay, wait, so there's a, the, the newspaper clipping is out. So this is known information that she killed Norman's real father. And kidnapped him and then went into the sanitarium, which poor Mrs. Bates. I mean, what a life she lived. <laughs> also, poor Vera Formica. But uh, so, but earlier, Tracy Venerable 
Venable coastal reporter says to Norman when she's talking with him and like how, or she says to someone, she's talking about the whole Lila, Lila Crane and Psycho 2 and Lila Crane brought the, brought mother back out and Norman and targeted him and stuff. So I'm like, how did Psycho 2 end? Did they know? They knew that Lila, they thought Lila. They blamed it all on Meg Tilly. You're correct. She got the blame for everything because when the cops shot her and killed her, a cab, how dare you shoot Meg Tilly? Uh, Thank you. She was dressed up in the mother drag because she was trying to pull an Amy, uh, Ginny Field from Friday the 13th Part 2 and right. do some psychology on Norman. Right. Because um, she, her her mother, who was Marion Crane's sister, her mother was Lila Loomis, and she wanted to make Norman pay for what he did. And so they were fooling him and doing all the mother stuff right this yes there we go so that i think i got confused because they said lila and then i was like but what about meg tilly i forgot her character name mary mary right and then that's the thing is like this whole like that is a whole storyline and then that wraps up and then all of a sudden emma spool is like hello i'm emma spool i'm the waitress from the diner p.s also i'm your mother and i'm crazy yeah, care for a nightcap twist? Yeah. And so it, that's a last minute reveal and then the shovel. And so now we're we're saying, no, no, no. Well, she was crazy, yes, but she wasn't really your mother. So Mrs. Bates has had a fucking hell of a life. Well, in Psycho 4, I mean, where she's Olivia Hussex. I know, I still need to see it. I have it. I still need oh, to see it. Oh, okay. Well, that's the thing is like, I would say Norma Bates is not the entirely blameless in all of this but it's just like the whole emma spool thing is just wackadoodle out of nowhere oh, it's, it's bonkers yeah it's fully bonkers and then that's all happened and they said at the beginning of this movie that she's been missing for a month so i'm like you're telling me norman is, has had like the worst two months of his life <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> immediately after getting out of the sanitarium this all happens and people in the town aren't like it's just weird that they're like, oh, there's our boy Norman. Is everyone so mean yeah. to him? Yeah, I, that's the, like, <laughs> the most unbelievable thing about Psycho 2 and 3 is that like the cops and the townsfolk are like, leave Norman alone. He's sure been through a lot. Just people keep always being brutally murdered right around town. Yeah, like, it, I feel like that's not exactly how people would act, but it's a yeah. nice, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice fantasy. I guess. Yes. So uh, Maureen ends up accidentally dead because she's like, Norman, I love you. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> she's real weird. And then Norman's mother is like, Norman. And he's like, no. And so she falls down the stairs just like Arbogast, right? Like, yep. In another callback. So she ends up dead. You think Tracy Venable's going to end up dead because Norman is ready to kill her. But no, he stabs the stuffed Nogahide-esque body of Emma Spool. And he's free. He's free from mother's uh, whatever. <laughs> Mouth. <laughs> Which I do love that we get to see him speaking as mother this time around too. Yeah. He does a good job. 
He does a good job. <laughs> uh, but is he free? Because at the very end, we find out he has absconded with her hand and he is petting it. <laughs> Sitting there stroking that weird green hand. Yeah. This is the. But, so he's free. He said he always wants to get like the whole saga of the last two movies is he wants to get away from his mother. And I guess, yes, par- mother is part of him. So he never can. So that's just mother clinging on, holding on to her own hand, I guess. I guess. And it seems like, uh, you know, it's a cheap horror movie ending to ensure there's going to be some kind yeah. of sequel, but. Yeah, because he's overcome her like twice in this finale. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and at the end, he's, but yet still a mother. <laughs> and I have questions. Well, I mean, we do see at when we first see him in Psycho 3, he is poisoning birds so that they die so that he can taxidermy and stuff them. Yes. This is not what a, a person should do. Do you, do you find or feel that human taxidermy could ever actually be like successful? Um, like because of, I ask because of the raisining, like the tan momming that happens. Right. You like mean it's scientifically or morally? Aesthetically, I guess. Aesthetically. <laughs> I'm just saying. And I'm not pro-taxidermy. I'm not. Just philosophically, I'm curious. Like a bird or a yak or something where it's like more like fur or feather based. It can, it, it sort of, the, 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 aesthetically the image survives death in that way. Right. Anything like with a fur or a feather or something, whereas we are mostly just skin, probably. And can that be preserved? There's, yeah. Like we're like water bags. So when you're dehydrated, you look like a dehydrated water bag. I'm just saying human taxidermy. I think Norman should maybe aspire to something different. Right. Well, he only does mother. That's true. Well, he does mother twice. Right. But I mean, he's not like, he's not doing it to cachet. He's not doing it to Juliet Commons, you know. He's That's only true. doing it to mother. So he doesn't really, he, he doesn't really care. I mean, Emma Spool, if you walked in, or even the original Mrs. Bates and Psycho, like, you're not going to say, like, what is she? I thought she was alive. Like, <laughs> <laughs> No one's fooled. I don't think he tried too hard. <sighs> they just might be stuffed, but that's about <sighs> it, you know. <sighs> <laughs> but I do love, I just, I don't know. I love the image of Mrs. Bates in the window, like her silhouette. It's so good. Move me closer to the window. Oh, it's so iconic. Yeah. That's going to be me. That's going to be me and you in Stanley Gaylord's <laughs> Manor. <laughs> Even while I'm still alive. Like, Anthony, move me closer to the window. You can move on your own. <laughs> okay. Anthony. What, Stacy? <laughs> Girls are all SOB sluts. <laughs> Stacy? <laughs> Except Meg Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> Mother, the window. mother found the gin again yep. <laughs> yep. uh when maureen sees her in the window fucking lit i love it so spooky so cool like a little glow to her dead eyes with the lightning so cool yeah i just so i don't cool. know man it's just one of like the house and the motel are just 
they're just so great like i just as a horror fan they just fill me with feelings oh it's horror buckingham palace yeah <laughs> Like, yeah. it's, that's, that's one of the greatest sights. I mean, just look at that. Like, I, I was thinking about that, um, watching this as when, as intrepid coastal reporter Tracy Venable <laughs> sneaks in through the back of the, the house, through the kitchen, and just looking at the set design and thinking about, like, I mean, thinking about going back to Hitchcock and thinking about all the choices that had to be made. Like, okay, so there's going to be a motel and it's going to be just a total, like, um a total you know motor lodge shitty cabin motel off the side of the road but then this guy has to live in a house and he has to be like ed Gein, basically who lived in a creepy broken old farmhouse so what would that version of what would this small business owner's old family home look like and then they turned into this like incredible spooky dilapidated victorian thing it's like so lavish, a little more over the top than it needs to be, but it's like it's just it's a it's a, a pure object as set design. What watching this last night, I was just like, I don't know, I had psycho feelings. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I love this franchise. Like it feel it's another one of those where it feels weird to call it a franchise, even though it is. It's one, two, three, four. Uh, but I was like, man, these are all really solid movies. I mean, obviously Psycho's a fucking masterpiece, but it's like, is this the most high quality franchise? Listen, oh, this is a question that we keep coming up to. Uh, It really, truly could be. I need to watch four, um, but one, two, three are golden. And they're all so different, even though they're all in the same location, all kind of the same there's a the colonel at the base of all of them is kind of the same like oh there's this wackadoodle dude and he grouped people you know whatever but but they all feel so different from one another well yeah and they're they're very much kernels of what was happening in horror at the time at their time like we get proto slasher with the first movie uh you get you get 80 slasher with two you get sleazy sleazy like new jersey great value slasher with three and the vibe i mean i think i think it's really it was really interesting having anthony perkins direct this one because he knows psycho he's one of those actors that you know like linda blair with the exorcist or they've just they've they've become synonymous with this franchise with this character and I thought it was a really interesting choice to have him do it. Like, he, he was the one that reached out to Carter Burwell after uh, seeing, um, uh, I think, like, Blood, Blood Simple. Simple. Yeah, the Coen yeah. brothers. Uh, and I don't know. I think, like, the way he shot up some shots. I mean, while the sex scenes aren't sex scenes and <laughs> don't make any sense. I think he was, he displayed some competency. Well, there's some uh, really cool shit in here. Like, when the, the crack of light underneath the door... Like it turns into the the edge of the knife, like the reflection yeah. on the edge of the knife. Like the phone booth is really great stuff. Um, there's the transition of I forget what is he in the motel or something. Like Norman is kind of it, like facing one way, and then when he turns around, he's in his bedroom. Like it's, it's he's like, yeah the hospital. He's yeah, leaving. Yeah. He's after visiting Maureen, who has mistaken Norman as mother. For the Virgin Mary, <laughs> which is she has so many problems. One of her many red flags, <laughs> because when you see Norman as mother in like daylight, I mean, this is 
Party City Drag at its worst. Yeah. <laughs> she sees the glorious Virgin Mary. But he is walking away from visiting her and he walks out of the hospital room, shuts the door, and he's back in Mother's room. Yeah. It's in really one cool. And it's like, what a way to to both continue to use the camera and to tell a story visually, but also like your your efficiency as a filmmaker. You've just built in a transition. But it's also telling us about his mental state and his prioritization his priorities and it it's just it's it's smart it's almost like a gay person made this film right. <laughs> yeah and i think he there's a really uh good use of color throughout the whole movie i mean like as weird yes. is that that sex scene between duke and red is juliet Cummins' character's name uh as weird as it is the colors there or like the colors of the bates motel sign really pop in the back like the neon and yeah. all of this, which is so great because I mean, we started out in black and white, and it's just something that he has turned his eye to in the eighties. Is you know, there's some style to this movie. Yeah, it's this is new wave psycho. You get you get the new wave like kind of film like that saturated color uh, sleaziness. You get that incredible a lot of new wave too in the score by Carter Burwell. Um, it's very violent. Like the kill, the kill scenes that happen are bloody and he he fucking slits a uh, uh, cat Shay's throat and then she's all bleeding everywhere and then he just tosses some toilet paper on. <laughs> it's messed up. Do you pick up? Did you pick up on? Did you pick up on like all the gay stuff? Do you think he was? This was his message movie. I feel like it's in there. Like there's. I got this feeling because I maybe part of it is because she is a fucking lunatic, <laughs> but, <laughs> but with Norman and Maureen and they're like, they're sort of recognizing each other and their instant draw to each other, even though, you know, she's a nutcase who thinks he's the Virgin Mary and he thinks she's um, uh, Marion Crane. Like, there's something about their connection that to me read really interestingly until they started hooking up and then it read very differently where I guess at first I was like, this seems like these are two, two characters that are both dealing with like massive repressed sexuality. Oh yeah. That's definitely her bag. Like what, I mean, you wonder that's the thing about Maureen is like, you know, ah, there is no God. And it's like, okay, this is, I mean, are you just like the extreme version of Father Karras? Like, like the the person of the cloth having a crisis of faith is well worn yeah. trope in horror. But you don't know what her deal is. Where is that coming from? What's her story? Until she finally goes to like visit the priest, right, and talks about her background a little bit, and her stuff definitely seems tied up in sexuality of some sort. Yeah, they yeah they don't address it anywhere else yeah but she's talking about how she started to get these sexual urges uh the the priest says oh well those are actually or the psych wait priest psychologist priest yeah he's probably like a father cares like the priest got a psychologist too yes yes right sorry and then um i just thought that that was extra strange that he's a priest because then he tells her that those urges are perfectly normal which didn't feel like and then she says oh well the sister told me that that was that i was wicked it was sinful and um, that those are things that must be endured. 
It's like that this sexuality that she can't control is something that must be endured and lived with. Uh, and he's meanwhile saying it's perfectly normal. Just reminded me of being a kid and saying I was gay to my doctor and, uh, but I was trying to stop or something. And he's like, well, actually that's something that nobody can change. That's not something you really get to choose. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Cool doctor. When I was a kid, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, I but, think most most gay people go through the like, I'm feeling this and it's wrong. So how do I actively either stop it or I'm at least going to pretend to stop it around people? Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, I think her with her because she's entering, she never took her vows, but you know because she went to join a nunnery or whatever. I think hers could be looked at either way of just like, you could absolutely read it as some kind of gayness or just like a person of the cloth shouldn't have any sexuality at all you should suddenly go full barbie down below and absolutely nothing's going on so it's just interesting to me that you get that with her and then also with norman we know that obviously the whole root of his thing is repressed sexual desire uh but then even in this the way he talks about it he says lines like it's it's always there throbbing inside you yeah (laughs) And I'm like, okay, Norman, Anthony Perkins, who is six years away from the end of his life at this point. And I don't know, he talks about, there's even, he had a line about, um, he was screaming at mother at Emma Spool. He says, you made me do this, you're tainted blood in me, which I'm like, also then thinking about 86 and what happened to Anthony Perkins. It starts to get weird. So these two characters together, I was reading them until they started to have these weird kissing scenes i was reading them as like a just a repressed gay and repressed lesbian who then essentially i was like how else can i look at this when they're finally making out and it's so unattractive (laughs) yeah but i'm like this is this is the this is the couple that goes through conversion therapy together Mm. and then gets married right (laughs) like that you, you know we all saw on dateline back in the 90s yeah this... Yeah, the, the kissing is very, uh, whatever that show is, where the two virgins, like, get married. And the fir- <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's always, it's always the virgins <laughs> getting married, and their first kiss is just like, you guys never even practice on, like, your hand or a floor? <laughs> like, you have no idea what you're doing. And that's okay, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, it felt like that. It's like two mailboxes crushed together you know yes yes this that's what anthony perkins said he said okay okay everybody on set i want this to feel like two mailboxes (laughs) in love (laughs) and that's what came through right yeah i'll give you that i could see that so i don't know i just feel like all that and then and then it's interesting that jeff fahey is kind of the trigger not not the trigger but he shows up when all this starts to happen to Norman again. And I don't know. It's just not, I think he's opera. I think, I think Andy Perkins said, how, what can I fit in here? Would you, would you think these things if, if you didn't know anything about Anthony Perkins's private life or do you think it would still read that way? Or is that, or do you think it's because you know about him? That's a great question. Because I do, because I'm like, well, I don't think Anthony Perkins didn't write the script. Right. You know, but um, if it wasn't Anthony Perkins, I would say probably not. I would probably more look at, like, especially their relationship more at face value. Like, I don't think about Meg Tilly and him and Psycho 2 that way. Right, that's true. 
but in this i think i think i cannot remove myself from like a gay director nearing the end of his life during the time of aids like i just can't remove that from that somehow working his way its way into his work or showing up somehow so i'm just yeah I'm curious if it's in there but yeah i think otherwise i, I might not see that well and maureen is a very different character than mary too so it's oh she's so <laughs> She's got she's, some, she's got some stuff going on. She's got so much going on. Yeah, poor thing. Man, I love this though. I loved it. I'm so happy. I love Psycho Three. It's my true love. <laughs> Grab your suitcase and head out into the desert. I mean, that's a great way to start the re-re-threening, if you ask me. I uh, I think this is a great way to kick it off. I'm really happy we got to get to Psycho 3 finally. I love this movie. Uh, I love seeing this thermometer. Stacy, it's $1,000 to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, just, we literally launched it right before we started uh, talking. Like, the start of the threening is always the scariest part, because I'm like, oh no, what if this, this is the time that nobody does it? <laughs> yeah, no one's, yeah. Everybody's like, oh, these two again? <laughs> I know, and then we have to listen to, like, seven days of these two? So I am nervously staring at this thing. Like, I don't know what's gonna, nobody even is listening just right now, because this still has to go on the internet. That's right. That's but I'm like, good. when is it gonna move? <laughs> Right. Well, hopefully tomorrow's episode, we will have an update. Hopefully the thermometer will be throbbing inside of all of us. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, I'm Norman. Going to- yeah, I'm- <laughs> that didn't work. I didn't like that. Um, See, it's, but the line is telling. It's, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Uh, anyway. But tomorrow's episode, we will have an update. We'll see where the thermometer throbs. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow's movie. Now, this is also what we're doing. We are not. There's no game shows this week. Okay. We don't have. I don't have the brain capacity. We're doing seven movies this week, y'all. Yeah. I uh, It's. I can barely talk about the movies. I can't answer questions. Okay. No. Uh, but we, we will at the end of every... Un- episode announce the movie that we are going to discuss the following day because some of y'all like to play along so tomorrow's movie is a little something called zombie three oh my god i've never seen it i never have either i'm excited i am too what is it like 1988 or something yeah 88 89 i think 88 yeah still fulci and another uh, another director yeah so I'm super pumped. It sounds like a complete plot ripoff of Return of the Living Dead, and I'm stoked. Yep, yep, yep. It's yep. going to be Italian. Yes. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> can't wait. Yeah. So that's tomorrow. Otherwise, um, I mean, you know, like we said, give if you can. Spread the word. Give yeah. if you can. Tell your friends. Tell your family members. Yeah, share, retweet, share it. You could you could take the link and drop it in a email. Imagine that you could do an email and oh, send wow. it to somebody. Let's not go crazy. Let's not go too nuts. Yeah. We don't want to seem weird, right? <laughs> but once again, that is 
our fundraiser, Gaylords of Darkness, for Transgender Law Center. You can uh, go to our social media link, click that. You can go to gaylordsofdarkness.com and click our banner link. Or you can, if you're listening right now, you're like stuck in traffic and you have your phone and you were you are, you are for some reason using your phone. I'm going to guess you're in stop and go and you're stopped so you're safely on your phone, even though you still shouldn't well, be. Well, I don't know if I like where this is going. This is, this is not, Tyra and Oprah would be pissed at me right now. So. Yeah. So pull over, get out of the car, <laughs> stop it, get out of the car, pull out your phone. Make sure that there's no like big scary trucks coming or anything and you're safe. Uh, go to GoFundMe.com forward slash F forward slash Gaylords. That's easy. It's really easy. And let's let's see where we can get on this uh, our first day thermometer in. Yeah. And we'll be back tomorrow. Zombie and, three. Until then. Anthony, move me closer to the window. Mother. Wow, for a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my god! God. Oh Oh my my god! god. Ha, 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 ha.